0: The Guardian.
1: You're listening to a special cuts podcast from The Guardian with Aditya Chakraborty and Tom Clark. The decisions we have taken today bring sanity to our public finances yeah, and stability yeah, our yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They deal decisively with the largest budget deficit this House of Commons has ever had to face outside of a wartime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have had to make choices, choices about the things we support. We've seen people cheering
2: the deepest. Cuts to public spending in the in living memory. In living memory. The deepest cuts in living memory. Mr Speaker, some people opposite. For some members opposite, this is their ideological objective. This is what they came in politics for.
1: In the studio we have Polly Toynbee, William Keegan, Nils Prattley, and Patrick Butler. So Polly first... We knew there were going to be cuts. What does the shape of those cuts tell us about the contours of David Cameron's Britain?
0: They're very conservative cuts indeed. They're cuts that really won't affect people much who live in conservative areas, the people that conservative MPs represent, the people who will really suffer, are the people whose votes are stacked up in Labour seats. It's an extremely political budget. Uh, You're going to get perhaps 70% of people, people who haven't got children, people who are on middle incomes and above, who are hardly going to be affected. I don't think we'll hear so much about the squeezed middle the real hit has been in the bottom 30%, who are solid Labour voters if they vote at all. And as Mrs Thatcher always said, you could ignore them.
1: And what about Clegg's um, fairness test and all of that? Is he in
0: tatters? I think we'll find as we unpick this day after day over the next week that it will become more and more apparent how unfair it is. So many of these benefit cuts particularly are striking at the same people over and over again, whether it's in their housing benefit, whether it's in disability, whether it's in childcare, uh, time and time again. Things that were gobbled through very fast today will be slowly revealed to be very painful indeed.
1: Bill, what's the scale of the gamble that George Osborne's taking with these measures?
3: I think it's huge. I think he's um, the most dangerous chance I've come across in my lifetime, and I've been covering budgets, for, you know, since um, the days of Reginald Maudling in the sixties. He's a man who exaggerates grossly. He's compared our problems to those of Greece. You know, we have a 14-year average maturity on our debt. The Greeks didn't know what they were going to do in about three weeks' time. Um, He's talked about our being on the verge of national bankruptcy. We're not. What we do know is that the economy has been through the worst recession since the 1930s and that a brief recovery seems to be uh, sl- slowing down. The National Institute of Economic and Social Research, which is a truly independent organisation, says that the earlier growth figures were a flash in the pan. So far from uh, needing cuts, what this, um, what this economy needs now is some public sector investment and uh, a bit of expansion.
4: Uh, Patrick Butler, one of the things that we heard from George Osborne before the spending review and during the actual speech was how many departments have been ring-fenced or protected in some way. Apart from health and
5: international development, which we know are being protected from YACs, which are the biggest losers? Well, I think it's invidious to talk about losers because there's a lot of pain being shared across those departments, but I think it's pretty clear that the big, big loser is a Department for Communities and Local Government. Their budgets have been absolutely shredded, we're talking about 50% off, uh, off one half of their budget, and their capital spend is absolutely shredded too. What that means is that local government is effectively going to be the the organisation which rations and doles out the pain. The pain has effectively been outsourced to local councils. The good news for councils is they can decide what they're going to spend this money on. Lots of uh, the ring-fenced grants that came from the centre have now been passed on to them. They've been given more freedom to choose what they spend the money that they have on. The bad news is it doesn't have any more money.
4: Nils Prattley, final question in the first round to you. The whole point of this huge retrenchment in public finances, we're told, is to placate the markets. What will, what will our friends in the bond markets make of today's announcements?
2: I was watching the guilt prices d- during the, um, the speech and they, they barely moved. That's probably to be expected because the really big numbers on um, current expenditure were as advertised in, the in, in, in June. The critical question, as sort of William referred to, was the, uh, you know, what happens to the growth figures? I mean, you know, that's when the, the gilt market will start to worry if growth does not appear. And the Chancellor sort of advertised a few facts on jobs today. It was 178,000. He said jobs have been created in the past three months and he threw some money at uh, apprenticeships and so on. I have to say, I think um, the mood in boardrooms is very different from the one that, uh, that, that that you might be suggested by those those chief executives who wrote to The Telegraph. I was having uh, breakfast this morning with the chief executive who said that um, the view in a lot of boardrooms is that they've uh, they've cut jobs. They can live with the uh, the lower levels of workforce. They quite like living that way, and they won't be ad- ad- adding jobs. Clearly, you know that's a sweeping generalisation. But I think if the chancellor is expecting a lot of private sector investment to come in and create a lot of jobs, um, that's a big ask.
1: So there's not much reason to be cheerful. We know from Danny Alexander's. Embarrassing snap with the picture yesterday that you're going to be losing half a million or thereabouts in public sector jobs. What you're saying is that we shouldn't assume that there'll be any quid pro quo for that on the private side.
2: Well, you would assume there'd be some. That, that, well, I mean, we hope there will be some growth in the economy, so there should be some job creation. But if you are trying to make up uh, 500,000 job losses disappearing from the public sector, to expect the private sector to take up that slack, you know, it's a tall order. It's a tall order. I mean, the growth would have to be very strong indeed.
1: Well, let's just zone in for a minute on what is probably today's biggest news, Polly, which is the um, cuts to welfare. It was um, about 500 words in a speech. It was 10,000 words long, but contained all the real substance. And there was barely time to take it in, was there?
0: It was very hard to absorb things like the cuts to, to childcare that women who are already mostly on the minimum wage struggling to pay 20% of their childcare costs and are now going to have to pay 30%. That may be enough to tip anybody on the minimum wage out of a job because it's simply not viable to work anymore. Not that it's not profitable, you're actually working at a loss. So that'll be very serious. That was half a phrase that one got thrown out. Um,
1: Meanwhile, they're freezing this working tax credit that's meant to bribe you to get a job in the first place.
0: Yes, I mean, how are they going to bring the sums together to make it always worth somebody's while to work while you're doing those two things is absolutely puzzling. I can't see how you can do that because both of those were brought in as work incentives mm. deliberately for people who do work, not for the workless. I think what's happening in local authorities, I mean, Eric Pickles sent out a letter saying, you're all free, we've got no targets. He sent out a letter this week saying, this. here's the good news, no targets, whatever. So things like Sure Start when they say, well, the funding's frozen, but uh, it's preserved. It's not preserved Mm. because it's not a statutory service. These local authorities, KPMG today is saying that some of them will fall over, uh, will go bankrupt. Uh, These local authorities simply won't be able to choose. It won't be freedom. Things like Sure Start will be cut in places that are really hard pressed because they have to pay for child protection and they have to pay for the critical old age pensioners who are very frail indeed.
1: I mean, Patrick, perhaps the most striking single announcement in there, certainly the biggest number they got out of welfare was on disabled people the thing that's nowadays called employment and support allowance used to be called invalidity and incapacity benefit that is just going to stop if you're someone who is disabled and is married to someone who has a job do you think there'll be um wheelchairs in downing street
5: well i certainly hope so and i have every confidence in the disability movement to fight these i mean they're a very active and they're a very uh vocal Movement. Um, I think one of the things it, it sends a, a very strong message out to uh, disabled people is that the some of the things that uh, they've got used to, which is the idea that they have independent living, that they can be helped to become economically active, part of society, fully functioning members of the economy. It's very much undermining those messages.
4: William Keegan, let's bring you back in. One of the things that uh, George Osborne has always given his kind of his, his economic philosophy is that the public sector is crowding out the private sector. And if you hack back the, the public sector, then the private sector will flourish. L- listen to his speech this afternoon. Did you, what did you make of that?
3: During boom times, it's possible that the public sector does crowd the private sector out, but it doesn't crowd it out at a time like this. And I find it interesting that, the, um, as you know, one or two journalists have looked at the companies behind the uh, individuals who wrote to the Telegraph earlier this week, and they've been um, declaring people redundant. They're not looking for jobs. Now, people say, okay, it's it's small businesses. It's the small businesses that are most affected by the credit squeeze and the, 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 the present behavior of the banks. And they are... A lot, of, a lot of small businesses are in deep trouble and a lot of banks say, oh, yes, they're in trouble because we, you know, we've, been holding, we've been keeping them going. We don't know how long we can. I think there is a potential crisis there. I don't see jobs coming, coming there. No, there's no crowding out whatsoever. It's, it's an absolutely absurd suggestion.
4: Niels we've talked about public finances. We've talked about fairness. The final tranche of George Osborne's vision is a growth strategy. How convinced were you by his growth strategy?
2: Um, well i 'm not sure what it is what, 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 what the um, the growth strategy i mean, the, the growth strategy is is to expect the private sector to come in and uh, bit of infrastructure investment some greenery yeah i mean i think i mean he talked um, he devoted um, Quite a number of minutes at the end to naming the number of roads that would be widened and the extended and the bridges that would be built. But the, I mean, the capital spending numbers were, were actually going down. I mean, you know, there is a cut in capital spending. I mean, you can name all the projects that you are constructing, but it doesn't change the fact that the capital spending is going down.
1: Soon before the spending review, Ed Miliband made his first really big decision as Labour leader in appointing... Alan Johnson, an economic novice, I think he'd admit, as uh, his shadow chancellor. He's just had his first outing. Polly, did he catch a glimpse? Did you see how he did?
0: I thought he was brilliant, actually, because whoever takes that job never never actually produces the figures on the day. You can't be expected to. You have a sort of ready-made speech anyway, and I thought he was very good. He had extraordinary confidence, aplomb, politeness, a wit, and it seemed to me that he made George Osborne look small and mean. Did he do better than Ed Balls would have done? That Cooper? Well, Ed Balls would have been very different. He would have been extremely pugnacious, very ferocious, extremely dislikable, but very effective. I think that Alan Johnson does it the other way. You know, he kills with kindness and does it better in some ways.
4: William, we shouldn't forget that this is actually a coalition, and there was someone sat ne- There were two people sat next to George Osborne who weren't in his party: Danny Alexander and Nick Clegg. Mm-hmm. What do you think they've got to take back to their supporters now?
3: Well, I think uh, they've lost a lot of their supporters. But it is interesting that there's been some public misunderstanding about Nick Clegg. Nick Clegg was associated with the uh, Orange Papers that the Liberals produced some years ago. And Nick Clegg has been way to the right of his party for a very long time. So you're getting uh, – he dissembled during the campaign, disgracefully, in my opinion. Uh, but now um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised he's going along with this if you look at his record. Danny Alexander, as well, you know, with due respect, just seems to be um, out of his depth.
4: Nils, how long do you think it will take before we see the economic impact of the kind of measures
2: that are announced here? Will it be as soon as this time
4: next year? Will it be sooner?
2: I mean, these are measures to be taken over the life of the Parliament. So there's uh, four years to go, and these 490,000 job losses will take place over over four years. And as far as I could tell, it seemed to be fairly evenly spread. It's not front-loaded or back-loaded, which was exactly what they'd said in June. So on that point, I think... The uh, the government of the Bank of England was talking yesterday about a sober decade, clearly, you know, I mean, I think we should start thinking in terms of half decades and decades, because this is clearly, you know, this is going to take a very long time. Clearly, the coalition hope they can deliver a few tax cuts in time for the next uh, general election. But I think, you know, we've got to start thinking that this, the real point of this is that it's going to last a very long time. It's not a quick cut. And you're free. It's a long squeeze. So we've got a little bit of a
1: wait till we know whether Labour will be wheeling out posters in a few years' time saying the coalition isn't working. That's all we've got time for for now. Thanks to our guests Polly Toynbee, William Keegan, Nils Pratley and Patrick Butler.
4: The producer was Ian Chambers. I'm Adit Chakravorty.
1: I'm Tom Clark and thanks for listening.
0: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.